Hello, hello everyone. I hope you're well. Thank you so much for tuning in to All About Fertility podcast. I'm Ellie, your host. And today I am with Belinda Kirkpatrick and she's an expert nutritionist and naturopath in Sydney with over 15 years clinical experience. She helps women manage their hormonal health and fertility. She's also the author of Healthy Hormones, which features expert naturopathic advice, 50 recipes plus tips on facility and nutrition. She's also the creator of a period tracker and women's health app called Seed for iPhone. Like seriously, wow, wow, wow. where do you get the time? You are amazing. Who says that women cannot have it all? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. No, thank you. Thank you very much. These have been, you know, years in the making. So it's, you know, it's, it's always fun to have a little side hustle. Gosh, a side hustle. That's huge. Like, how come she decided to create an app? Look, you know, I think the thing with the app was that, you know, I, I have and I've used these app for ye- apps for mm. years. So many of my clients use these apps and all they do is collect data. And that's great if you've got somebody to take that data to. But if you're just going, I had a headache here, I was moody here, whatever. I mean, like, what are you actually doing with that? So what I wanted to do was to create an app that actually, you know, when you put in, I've got a headache, it gave you a tip for that Mm. symptom, something that you could be starting to do at home to actually kind of manage that. And then it sort of grew into, you know, having stuff about fertility Mm. and um, recipes and supplement advice and all that sort of stuff. So um, it it sort of grew from there. But, But that's where it sort of started from was, you know, to kind of actually give you some tools of what you could do with that information rather than just collect the data. That's fantastic. I mean, I only just started using um, period app trackings. And when I read that yours, I downloaded it yesterday. So I was like, yep, going to use it. Uh, So I can't wait to use it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you, Ella. Thank you. So um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you became a naturopath? And, you know, I love a good backstory. And whenever I get someone on here, I just love to hear what their yeah story is. Yeah, where they mm. came from. Excellent. Yeah. So basically, um, I've always had a real interest in health and helping people and sort of natural health. Um, we grew up with kind of a, a mixture of, um, you know, traditional, normal, I mean, not traditional, normal orthodox medicine, but also, you know, taking vitamins and doing some homeopathy and things like that. So it was a bit of a dabble in in kind of like both worlds. And at the time, it was quite alternative medicine, I guess, Mm. rather than what it is now. I like to see it as complementary medicine. You know, they really do fit together in my kind of perspective. Um, So I travelled around the world for a little bit, not sure what I was going to do, and then found my naturopathy degree at uh, at university Mm. and loved it from the beginning. Um, I had both of my children whilst studying. So that was that first was a nice surprise <laughs> um, when you were at uni and um, yeah, anyway. So so that's, I guess, where I got the interest in hormonal health, um, fertility, you know, because I was kind of practicing this knowledge along the way in my pregnancy yeah. and then with my baby, um, we then decided to have another child and then I sort of went from there. So I guess that's where my real interest in this area came from. Um, and as I sort of went along, I guess, you know, there's the passion about really helping women who were having difficulties, um, you know, not finding answers and being able to work alongside 
specialists and doctors and IVF specialists. And then I ended up doing my master's in reproductive medicine um, at the School of Medicine in, at New South mm. Wales, <clears throat> excuse me, New South Wales University. Um, and yeah, so it just kind of became my specialty and, you know, all women's health, hormones, fertility, subfertility, yeah. miscarriage prevention. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of like passionate about working yeah. in that area. Now, um, because of your interest and um, you've wrote your first book, um, Healthy Hormones, which I just love because it starts oh. from the very beginning, like which is always a good place to start because – you know, it talks about your periods um, through to hormones, supplements, recipes, and that's all important when you're trying to conceive. And it also um, discusses, you know, things like mucus, um, which we don't really discuss. And if you don't look oh, into it and you don't realize, you know, what it's supposed to be like, if it's supposed to be sticky, watery, we just don't know because we don't discuss it. So it's all in this book, which is, you know, when I was just reading it and it's so pretty. I was like, yeah, Uh, (laughs) it is pretty. It is pretty. I like the look. That wasn't anything to do with me. Um, But um, yeah, look, I I wanted to kind of, you know, be able to kind of have this information in one place. You know, not everybody has the opportunity or the interest to see a naturopath Mm. or a nutritionist or whoever to help them along the way. And there's all this kind of information floating around out there and some of it is fantastic and some of it is less fantastic so many of my women in clinic um, are on all these forums which I know can be fantastic but at the same time can be really confusing so I really just wanted to kind of um, I guess have it all in the one place at least get those basics those foundations um, as as kind of I guess you know implemented in people's lives as much as possible um, and and give people like a positive reference of what they can be doing to improve their hormonal health and fertility um, rather than just big lists of what not to do. Okay, so let's talk about those um, basic fundamentals. So let's talk hormones. What are they and what are their functions? Now, going through IVF, you hear a lot about, you know, my estrogen, my progesterone. So what can you explain to us what their job is yeah absolutely yes so we've all got lots of hormones mm. and i guess for the purpose of our conversation we're probably going to be talking mostly about the women's reproductive yeah. hormones and so hormones are basically chemical messengers that you know help a gland to function how it needs to function mm. so if we're looking at estrogen and progesterone which are probably the most two they're the, they're the most popular mm. <laughs> of the women's hormones you know everybody knows them they're the superstars <laughs> and then you've got kind of smaller ones underneath things like prolactin and um you know testosterone probably everybody knows mm. about too the job of estrogen is to um, is to create ovulation or to stimulate ovulation. So as we're kind of going through our cycle, our menstrual cycle, and mimicking in the IVF cycle, but in a in a super dose of it, you know, our estrogen levels are rising, coming up to ovulation, and it's this it's this ovulation which is kind of the main event of the menstrual cycle, and that's really dominated by estrogen. So as a lot of us know, when we're um, postmenopausal, mm. you know, estrogen level drops because we're not ovulating anymore. Mm. Okay. And that's what's happening too when people potentially are um, not ovulating if they've got low estrogen. Sometimes that can happen. Women who've been dieting, 
not having enough carbohydrates, uh, very underweight or sudden kind of weight loss, acute stress can really drop our estrogen and that stops ovulation. So it's all that estrogen that really, you know, it's the main event of the menstrual cycle, this ovulation, really important for bone density. Um, and yeah, without it, you don't get to ovulate. So estrogen sometimes gets a bad rap because people have sometimes estrogen dominance and that might cause some unwanted menstrual symptoms, you know, weight gain, fluid retention, heavy periods, painful periods. So poor estrogen can get a bit of a bad rap. Um, Trust me, when you're 52, you're going to be wishing you'd bottled all that that (laughs) excess estrogen and kept it for later. Um, So it's all about balance. It's not about good Mm. and bad. Then comes in progesterone. So at the beginning of the cycle, the first half of the cycle, there really shouldn't be much or any progesterone in the system. So this is why it's really important when you get your hormones tested because people come in saying, oh, I didn't ovulate, my progesterone's low, and they actually just haven't tested at the correct time. So, you know, don't remember never to freak out about bloods until somebody's interpreted them mm-hmm. properly. And if that person doesn't know which day of the cycle you had those hormones tested on and you don't know to tell them, um, it's impossible for them to make any judgment about Mm -hmm. them. So progesterone basically is released after ovulation. So when we've had a good egg that's been released, it will then um, release uh, progesterone, which helps to maintain the second half of the pregnancy. Now, if you're trying to conceive and lucky enough to conceive, that progesterone will stay up And that will go on into pregnancy and that progesterone level will continue to rise in the first trimester and then flatten out a little bit after that. If you're not pregnant, you haven't fertilized, um, an egg hasn't been fertilized, um, then progesterone will just drop off. And then that's when you're getting your period. And by the time you're on sort of day, day two or the end of day one, progesterone will be back down to kind of baseline, which is pretty much nothing. So I guess, you know, that, that progesterone sort of maintains that second half of the cycle. Sometimes if people don't have enough progesterone, they might be spotting leading up to the period because it's progesterone that starts and stops the bleed. Um, it may be too that their progesterone is so low, they have what's called a luteal phase defect, not actually as common as people think which is when the second half of the cycle from ovulation to period is less than, it should be about 14 days, but when it's less than about sort of, um, you know, 11 or 12, it's considered to be a luteal phase defect. And sometimes that can be an issue with progesterone, mm. but more so is often an issue with ovulation and, and mm. the egg. Wow. So what happens if there's an imbalance? Now, you mentioned that um, estrogen, sorry, um, if there's too much, then you, you it causes weight gain. Yep. Fluid retention, yeah. heavy periods, painful periods. Low progesterone can cause in the second half of the cycle is often responsible for PMS, right. anxiety, irritability, spotting. Um, but so what happens is, is that there's no exact number that they should sort of be. They'll change all the way through the cycle. But if your estrogen is is high, either in and of itself or in comparison to progesterone. So in the book, I talk a lot about um, relative estrogen excess or relative progesterone deficiency. So the number might actually be okay, but if the other hormone is up or down, then the seesaw is kind of Mm. out of balance, if Mm. that makes sense. And so it's really important that um, I guess we try to find the balance. You know, we know that hormones can be 
imbalance. For example, with testosterone, if we have too much testosterone, Mm. that's often the case in many women with polycystic ovarian syndrome and testosterone can um, sort of stop ovulation you know, in the ovaries can cause things like um, uh, acne, excess hair growth, uh, oily skin, you know. So so we're aware of probably without really thinking about it that there are these sort of hormonal conditions that, that can kind of happen. So I guess what happens when there's that imbalance is you'll start to potentially get symptoms. Mm-hmm. If you're not symptomatic and you've got a pretty regular cycle, and by regular I mean somewhere between 28 and 32 days, it doesn't have to be 28 days on the dot every single time, but, you know, and you don't have pain, your period's just a reasonable kind of flow, but maybe some days it's 20, some months it's 27, some months it's 32, but you've got really no other symptoms. Like that's not an imbalance. You know, people come going, I need to have like the perfect Mm. cycle and, you know, sure, often we can kind of make that happen, but you know, from my point of view, it's sort of often money and effort that's not actually required because that is considered to be balanced. So a lot of women will know when there's an imbalance, you know, because they'll feel their symptoms, whether it be mood, whether it be energy, whether it be physical symptoms, really fluctuate through the cycle. And this is where sort of, you know, tracking your symptoms can be really helpful because if you're getting some unwanted symptoms just before your period, nearly all of us are like, oh yeah, okay, that's PMS. Mm. I get it. Right. But if you're getting, say, for example, you know, a blinding headache at ovulation every month from the middle of the cycle, a lot of people will say, oh no, no, it's not about my period. No, no, it's not hormonal. But sometimes they'll start tracking it and they're like, oh, it's every Mm. day 14, you know? So then we start to kind of go, oh, okay. So what's happening with your hormones at that point? How is your body kind of processing them? What's your liver function like? So the imbalance of hormones really depends on what that imbalance is. Um, But there isn't an absolute perfect, I guess the the sort of the perfect is when you're ovulating nicely, you're symptom-free, your periods are reasonably regular and they're not causing you know, any sort of real disruption to your life. And believe it or not, you know, women should be able to have and do deserve to have, you know, where you're just like, oh, here's my period. And then you, you know, you use mm. whatever, you know, period undies or period cups yeah. or, you know, tampons, pads, whatever. And yeah, you're going to be maybe just slightly more tired or slightly more sort of insular. And then your sort of period ends and the month kind mm. of goes on. So, you know, if you're noticing that your period your, your month is really split into two halves, you know, moody, fluid retention, crampy, you know, and then after your period, you just get this kind of couple of weeks of bliss. You know, there's something hormonal mm. going on there that, that, that can be looked at and you can feel better. <laughs> there is better out there. Yeah. Now, this might be a loaded question and there might be many answers to this. Yeah. But what are the causes of the imbalance? Is it lifestyle? Is it our environment? Uh, what we're eating? And can we reverse it? Can we find that right balance again? Absolutely. So with some things that are kind of more of a condition, say, for example, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome, high testosterone, um, 
it is absolutely possible to find that balance. Again, maybe a little bit harder. You may need some help with, with kind of doing that. With the general kind of, oh, you know, I don't feel so great in the second half of the cycle, but that's sort of it, it's probably going to be easier to do on your own. So the cause of the imbalance are, is many and varied, including all the things that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, stress. So when we release cortisol and stress hormones, that might be from lack of sleep. It might be from mental and emotional stress. It might just be from having a really fantastic, busy life that you just go, 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 never sit down, but loving it. You know, there's still stresses on the body. But when we have a lot of cortisol in our system, cortisol and progesterone actually get made along the same pathway. So the body though will always favor cortisol because it's more important to be able to react to a stressful situation than it is to be pregnant basically you know so going back historically Mm -hmm. if you had to run away from a bear or there was a flood or whatever you want to be able to run away and you know treat that emergency situation you probably wouldn't want to be pregnant at that time so it's going Mm -hmm. to be our survival instinct will be to favor cortisol so if we've got a lot of stress in our lives and yes progesterone can be low in the second half of the cycle and doing things like and this sounds like so easy i know but it actually is helpful Deep breathing, slowing mm. down, you know, meditation, mm. maybe mm. switching out your hit class for yoga, walking, swimming, you know, something more um, low impact, gentle and nurturing. It might be taking 10 slow, deep yeah. breaths. You know, you can actually start to reduce cortisol in your body yourself and that will then help to support progesterone production. It won't cause progesterone production, but allow progest- more progesterone to kind of be um, uh, produced with estrogen, for example, if you've got an estrogen dominant condition, um, as I mentioned, things like that, you know, period pain, um, bloating, uh, fluid attention, very heavy periods, um, and these are, you know, simplistic. You know, sometimes that could be low progesterone and you know high estrogen. But with estrogen, one of the pathways of estrogen uh, detoxification or the way that we get rid of excess estrogen in the body is via the bowel movements. So if you don't have healthy, regular bowel movements, you don't have enough fiber in your diet, then you're going to potentially be susceptible to an estrogen excess because your body's not actually getting out the estrogen that has already been used. So something simple like make it, well, sort of simple, I guess, if you're very constipated, it doesn't feel simple, Um, you know, by increasing fibre, it might be that you add a couple of tablespoons of ground linseeds to food. It might be that you try to bump up your intake of leafy greens and vegetables and particularly those brassica vegetables, so things like broccoli, cauliflower, um, asparagus, cabbage, Brussels sprouts. They all help to... um, push estrogen down the milder pathway and and help to also um, get rid of excess estrogen from the body. So some of those things absolutely can be diet and lifestyle based. We're also at risk of getting too much estrogen or estrogen-like compounds from our environment. So things like plastics and perfumes and um, chemicals that are in uh, washing detergents and you know cleaning products and personal care products a lot of those act like um what what we call xenoestrogens or environmental estrogens and they 
act like estrogen in the body. So they're not actually estrogen. But I don't know if you remember in, in high school, you know, we would have lockers and the locker keys were always like so flimsy. And sometimes your locker key would actually unlock somebody else's locker, right? Probably doesn't happen now because everything's like oh. so much better, you know. But um, so, so it's not that, you know, that the key is correct. So with the estrogen, you know, these things that are coming from our environment can act like estrogen. They click onto the estrogen receptors, which meaning they go into the lock, mm. they become like the key in the lock. They're not really the key. They yeah. kind of work similarly. So it is important that we look at all that stuff. And for those of you who are trying to conceive and or, you know, have a child already, it is also important that this is not just for fertility and for your hormones, but, you know, these things are also linked to, um, you know, potential health issues in the baby. Um, you know, they're also linked to potentially, um, you know, I guess going through into the baby and that can cause what we call epigenetic changes in the baby while the pregnancy is progressing. And what epigenetic means is that the way that our environment affects our genes. And so what they've sh they've shown in research, this one was really interesting, scary interesting, mm. is that women who were exposed to pesticides and herbicides, their granddaughters had an increased risk of PCOS. Wow. So so if that like so basically that that grandmother, that person, mm. if they were pregnant with the mother, that mother also has all the eggs in her of the granddaughter, mm. right? So in the first trimester, if you're pregnant with a girl, you know, you've also you're also carrying all your grandchildren. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's weird so to think bizarre, about. Right? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And so while we whilst we don't want to live in fear and be stressed out that like, oh gosh, we're so responsible for everything. Absolutely not, right? It's just sort of showing that, you know, that that you know, what we're exposed to can cause these changes. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that trying to minimize your use of some of these plastics, drinking out of plastic water bottles and heating up things, microwave rice in the plastic and things like that, that you could easily just tip it into a bowl, put a plate over the top and pop it in the microwave, right? Like it's not doing anything kind of crazy. Mm. Not only are we helping to improve our own hormonal health at the time, but also generations on and look a lot of those things are also linked to other health conditions and cell changes and things that we don't want as well so looking at that sort of lifestyle stuff without getting really overwhelmed <laughs> plastics everywhere mm. smelly things are everywhere you know it might be that you just start really slowly like switching out your perfume for an essential oil or there are actually lots of beautiful like properly natural perfumes you know, these days, mm. everything's come a long way in the last five or 10 years. You don't have to smell like patchouli oil anymore unless yeah. you want to. You know, you can smell like high-end beautifulness. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's pretty easy to switch over your um, cleaning products for more natural products. You don't have to go and empty everything out of the house today. When something finishes, you just replace it with a, a you know, a natural product. So, you know, this can be a slow process that then helps with that kind of hormonal imbalance as well. Um, while I was going through my cycles uh, last year, I um, I was also speaking to another naturopath and they mentioned it and I, it was something that I'd never really thought about. And so mm. it was like I, was, I had to mourn, you know, 
not wearing my favorite perfume because I was like, you know, you're spending all of this cash going through IVF and you're like, I just want it to, I want to give myself the best chance. So yeah, scrapped out all of the, um, you know, all the perfumes that I was wearing and, you know, thought about what I, you know, my moisturizers, um, to go for something more natural hair products. And it's about sort of making those small changes without it being really overwhelming and feeling like you're super responsible for everything, you know, because I know that a lot of women are like, if I just do this and I do this and I do this, like it will change the outcome. And yes, research says you are improving your chances. Um, but, you know, it, it's important that, you know, we also, I don't want people to feel like you have to be perfect mm. in order to get a yeah. baby, right? Like people have babies all the time mm. doing all sorts of things and that's fine and it's annoying if you've been trying to conceive for a while, I know, but it's it's mm. the case. So, you know, it's sort of finding out this information and knowing that it's also helping your health, anybody else who lives with you's health yeah. as well as improving the chances. And one of the things I find really interesting and I think I talk about this in the book, but I definitely talk about this in um, the online courses um, that, that, I'm, that I've got for fertility and for IVF support, is that, you know, when you go in for an embryo transfer, they tell you not to wear yes. perfume, right? So we know that embryos um, can be negatively affected by perfume. Mm. And all the staff at IVF clinics are not allowed to wear perfume and fragrances every day, mm. right? So it's sort of, yes, there hasn't been a research trial that says women who wear perfume have you know, poorer quality embryos or whatever. But it doesn't seem like a huge leap to me to go, right, so if wearing perfume in the transfer can negatively affect the embryo, if we're spraying this stuff on us to go into our through our skin, into our bloodstream, mm. incorporate it into our cells every day, I mean, if you wore it once or twice a year, whatever, like your body is probably not going to be too much. But if you're actually wearing that every day, you know, and have done, maybe you're 38, maybe you've done that since you were 18, you know, like, is there not a build-up effect that may be Mm. affecting equality or embryo health in the body as well? So my whole thing is to kind of, I'm very evidence-based, but I also don't just want to wait for research on a very specific topic to come out before, you know, I advise people to make easy changes. Mm. Um, So, you know, that's something to think about is that, you know, you don't wear perfume for that day, but if you're wearing it for all the days before, mm. I mean, like, is that a problem? Um, it would seem to me that, yeah, maybe maybe it's easy just not to wear. Mm. You know, so they, they know that there's issues with it. It's yeah. just, um, you know, how much and how much exposure and things like that that's really hard to get, um, you know, good kind of data yeah. on. Now, you mentioned um, one of the common hormonal conditions, which is PCOS. Um, Now, one in nine women suffer from endometriosis. Can you just explain to us what endometriosis is? Yeah, that's a great question. The the sort of the, not the definitions changing, Mm. but what's happening, like how we're seeing it is changing. So endometriosis is basically a, um, a, a condition where tissue that, is meant to be on the inside of the uterus, grows outside the uterus, right? So you might get this endometrial tissue, which is a lining of the uterus on your ovaries, your bowel, your bladder, um, you know, the tissues lining your pelvis, and that can feel very mm. painful. Um, when we get our period, that tissue also bleeds, but it's sort of bleeding into, you know, the, the lining of your pelvis and um, around your bowel and things like that and can cause lots of problems. So it has 
always been considered to be a hormonal condition, whereas now what we're seeing it is as a condition of inflammation, immune dysregulation, um, and, and possibly even having a sort of a bacterial sort of imbalance, you know, gut health sort of um, link as well. So that's all being really kind of looked into. Endometriosis can affect um, egg quality. It can affect implantation. You know, there is so much kind of inflammation there. A lot of the women, not a lot, a lot, yeah, kind Mm. of a lot, um, more than, you know, you'd expect, um, I guess, to, to... diagnose endometriosis is really doing laparoscopic treatment which is keyhole surgery um, and and you do that to see if it's there and then if it is there they can remove it Um, if you're having somebody do that i would recommend that it's somebody who really deals with endometriosis day in day out day in day out because it is a very important that that surgery is done with intense precision Mm -hmm. or it can kind of be worse now I've had so many women, like I just mentioned a moment ago, that sort of have what I call silent endometriosis. So they're women who, you know, maybe, um, you know, they're not too advanced in age. Mm. Uh, They may have had multiple failed IVF cycles. There may be no reason or unknown reason for um, low egg quality, low egg quantity, you know, and at some point, and sometimes they have pain, right? And sometimes they Mm. don't. But quite often after they've had this laparoscopic treatment, um, they fall pregnant naturally or they do an IVF cycle and have a, a successful result. Now, that doesn't mean it's everybody, mm. right? Like, you know, it, it's you don't just do, you know, exploratory surgery for fun, right? But, you know, it's something that at some point along the way probably should be should be looked at. I had a consult um, the other day with a beautiful, a beautiful couple. And from when they saw me probably a year ago for the first time, I flagged, you know, they'd already done a couple of IVF cycles and I said, I think you've got endometriosis. I want you to see this person. Um, you know, you, you, I think it should be looked at, right? doesn't mean you think you should need surgery. I'm not the one to say that. But, you know, you should see this person. They'll they'll tell you what they think. And like with so many people, you know, when the IVF doctor in this case wasn't particularly supportive of that stance and was just like, let's just do another cycle. It's a numbers game. And as you might know, it's like a gamble, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, when they're like, oh, you can just go into another cycle. We're so mm-hmm. close. This one was better. Like it's, you know, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. you know, and you just want to get closer to the point where you don't want to have a surgery and wait mm-hmm. a month or two months and push everything back and, you know, all this sort of stuff when the specialist is maybe saying, I don't think you need to do that. Um, she literally fell pregnant uh, a couple of weeks ago and you know we were speaking she was about to start on the cycle she'd done the surgery in uh, December and in the first month she fell pregnant naturally you know and that's not an isolated incident right just because it's not an isolated incident doesn't mean that everybody listening needs to run off and have a laparoscopy right like (laughs) you know we don't want to have that if you don't need to have that you know I guess what I'm sort of saying is that at some point You've got to look at everything. And sometimes I guess with what I do, and this is even potentially getting a second opinion from another um, IVF specialist sometimes does this, which is fresh eyes on listening to the whole case again, Mm -hmm. pulling everything together rather than it might be you might have seen somebody, they start off with a cycle, you know, then they're sort of, you know, I guess using the information from that cycle to do the next cycle but not always standing back and going, hang on a second, can I just look at this whole thing with fresh mm-hmm. eyes? You know, why are you, you know, 
why are you having kind of poor egg quality? Why are you having failures? You know, all that yeah. sort of stuff. What are your actual symptoms when you're not back-to-back IVF cycling? Um, and and is there something else that should be should be looked at? So, you know, if you've done a few cycles and you're not getting the result, you know, I would always say speak to somebody else for another opinion. Yeah. You don't need to go with that person, right? You just need to hear yeah. what somebody with fresh eyes might have to say about, your case because everybody's different every doctor's different um you know and like with many things um so you know marketing for example uh you know somebody might do it this way somebody might do it that way somebody might do it that way there's not one way of doing it and it's not that one way is wrong or right but sometimes you're like oh i didn't even know that this marketing idea existed oh i'd love to try that you know that's that resonates with me or whatever it is you know so it's, I think with medicine, we like to think that there's a one size, you know, this is you and this is what every doctor would do, A, B, C, D, with your case. But that that's not actually mm. the case. Now, there's quite a few women um, never had a period and they went on to um, <clears throat> replacement hormone therapy so they can get... Oh, right. So they didn't have, they a, didn't period. have a period. Gotcha. So even in high yes, school or whatever, they never, never got, got a period, period in the first place. Gotcha. Sorry. Yep. Yep. You understand. Yep. And um, so if someone's trying to conceive, so, you know, when, once they stop taking the pill because they want to try and conceive, their, their periods stop. So when someone trying to conceive mm-hmm. naturally, yep. do they have to go down the route of IVF or are you able to assist them to have a successful yep. pregnancy? Yeah, great question. So, so with what you're talking about, there are there are a bunch of women who've never had a natural period. Mm. Now, they get put onto the oral contraceptive pill at some point because not having a period means that their estrogen levels are very low and mm. not having enough estrogen predisposes them for low bone density, um, early cardiovascular disease, early um, issues with osteoporosis and things okay. like that. So, you know, at some point they do need to be given some estrogen probably, in order to reduce those um, sort of what we call comorbidities or issues that could kind of happen from not having the period. What's important to remember is is that when they're on the pill, they're not having periods, right? Mm -hmm. So those are withdrawal bleeds. When you stop taking the pill, your body bleeds um, because the hormones are being taken away, okay? So they still haven't had a period whether they were on the pill or not on the pill, right? So when they come off the pill, they'll have that initial withdrawal bleed and then nothing, right? Mm. So no, it doesn't mean they're going into early menopause. Um, their, their brain, their pituitary gland, the brain and their ovaries just never really set up that link, right? In terms of if they're going to conceive, um, often it is with IVF, okay, and that can be very successful. Um, mm. You do need to, I often prepare a lot of these women to go into IVF because if the cause of their lack of periods hasn't been established, then that can affect their success with the IVF cycle. Now, I would normally work with these women to try to get a period themselves right then start ovulating and then they can try naturally Mm. but then if after a certain amount of time that hasn't happened for whatever reason they're often better equipped they're in a better position to go to IVF so Mm. for example um, it happens a lot with people who had um, some sort of disordered eating when they were young Mm. Um, probably I would say it's probably the most common cause of people who've never had a period at all Um, 
excess exercise, um, in, increased like high stress, low carbohydrate. If you've got that kind of picture, then we need to restore those things you know, prior to IVF and hopefully then they get a natural cycle. And there are some herbs and nutrients and things that we use and often they are successful. They are more successful with people who say, for example, had periods as a teenager, then maybe they sort of went away and went onto the pill and now they're not coming back, you know, than than not actually ever getting one from 13 or 12 or 14 or whatever age, well, whatever age they weren't, I guess. Um, So, so, the people who have had periods in the past, it is easier to get them going again than people who never have. That's not to say that people who never have, I've got women who've never had a period that we get a period with and it's like, oh my gosh, like how is this, how is this even kind of happening? But those things need to be restored. Now, if there is some kind of um, disordered eating, even it can be disordered eating from the past, right? That's the thing. Mm-hmm. You can be fixed, cured, managed, whatever you want to kind of, wherever you are at with that. Um, and though the body, that trauma is still kind of stored in the body, um, mm. there nearly always is remnants of some kind of restrictive eating, whether it's turned into more of what we call an orthorexia picture, only very healthy things, there's still mm. restrictions. Um, and, and that usually involves, um, you know, working with your naturopath or nutritionist and usually a psychologist at the same time. Mm. Um, so it's really important that we pull everybody kind of like into, into the team. Yeah. The more common thing, sort of situation would be they had totally normal periods, everything was normal, they got put on the pill at 16 for their skin or pimples or contraception oh, yeah. or whatever and then they've come off and it's been a year or two and they still haven't had a period. Mm. That's probably the more common um, thing that I would see in clinic every week. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and again, there's a couple of causes of that. Yes, maybe there's underlying polycystic ovarian syndrome, which we can easily assess with blood testing. Yeah. If they've had regular periods when they were younger, it's less likely. Um, they can have uh, what's called hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is kind of what we were talking about before. Low carb, high exercise, low body weight, you know, mm-hmm. high stress. So all your hormones are very kind of suppressed in that state. Yeah. And we can also have what's called now sort of post-pill syndrome, you know, and it can take a couple of years to get your periods back because your body's effectively, you know, shut, well, the, the pills effectively shut down ovulation for so long, you know, yeah. sometimes 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And is that, that you know, you don't... Sorry, and is that um, continuously taking the pill without having that break so you don't... No, no, even no, that that could be just, you know, you're having pill bleeds, you know, whatever you want to call them, periods. They're not really periods. But, yeah, you could be having, you could be taking the pill correctly. Yeah. and and absolutely that that still happens with lots of women mm. and mostly they're told they've got PCOS or you know they 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 get sort of put into IVF too quickly and probably because you know they're frustrated as well and they want an answer and it usually isn't as successful as it would be if we actually get everything sort of back on track first is that the same thing when um someone gets the implants in into the skin yes yeah, yeah, exactly the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Because you're sort of affecting that sort of, you know, you're affecting ovulation. And yep, some people they get those out, they stop the pill, their cycle just clicks back in, you know, mm. perfectly. Amazing, fantastic, lucky for you. But for a lot of people, you know, that that doesn't happen. Mm. And it usually is correlated to the length of time on there, but not always. Mm. Wow. 
Yes, you've got to be a little bit careful with all those things. If you're just on the pill for the sake of it, you know, maybe you're not even using it for contraception or something. I often say like, you know, every year or two, just take two or three months off, see if your period kind of comes back regularly. And if it does and you want to be back on it or you need to be back on it, maybe you're in a new relationship again or your skin's not, whatever, you know, everybody's got their reasons. Um, But you sort of know it's, it's, it's coming back. And if the period doesn't come back for two or three months, I mean, personally, I'd probably keep waiting until it did um, so that you know. But, I mean, I, I know that's difficult too because obviously people who don't want to conceive at mm. that time don't want to conceive, mm. <laughs> you know, and so they're being obviously um, a, a cautious as they should be, um, but it may be that they do need to move more to other methods, barrier methods, condoms, things like that yeah, if, yeah. if possible. That's really great advice, especially for someone who's, you know, like in their 20s and who are taking mm-hmm. the pills, just so they can check, you know, yes. what's happening with their hormones yep. and their periods. So, you know, when they do get to that stage where they want to start a family, that they don't have any surprises. That's right. And I think, you know, the, the only thing is, is that, you know, when you're young, you, or most people don't really think like that. No. You know, they just think, oh, I'll be fine. And look, yeah. they're probably not listening to this podcast. I hope they are. <laughs> but I'm assuming, I'm assuming a lot of people who are listening to this is because they want to be in yeah. the fertility space or they're trying or, you know, like, it, mm, it's, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it would be great if people were listening to know. And look, I do think that actually I do see in my clinic now more and more you know, women in their 20s who, even early 20s, who are wanting to, you know, make sure that everything's okay yeah. in order to be having a baby in the, in the future. So that mm-hmm. I think that is kind of happening more. I think more people are realising that, you know, the pill and the implants and all that sort of stuff um, uh, may have longer-term repercussions for some yeah. women. You know, I think that's sort of becoming, I think a lot of younger women are, I'm more aware of that now mm. um, than people, I'm probably older than you, but, um, you know, people my age, like I'm in my 40s, early yeah, 40s. Yeah, you'd be surprised um, how old I am. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you look young. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, it, it, it's, you know, I think people of my age in their 20s, we didn't even think about it, right? No, like, absolutely well, it just, not. It wasn't, it, nobody, everyone, oh, you could go on the pill. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, good, <laughs> goodness. Wow. Skin's amazing. How do I take it? Yeah. Which way? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, what if I, if I go camping, I can just skip my period. Wow. Yes. Gosh. Who invented this? I'm going to go and give them a big high five, you know? So, um, whereas I do think now that there is a lot more information and understanding that, yeah, like some of us don't get our periods back when we stop taking it or, you know, that whole, you know, and maybe it's because we've been taking it longer. Women are, are generally having their children a bit later now than they were in the past. So, you know, maybe maybe it's that, you know, maybe people were taking the pill for, you know, five, maximum 10 years maybe in the past. And now, you know, I've got women who are, are 40 and coming off the pill and they've been on it since they were 16. Wow, that's a long time. Well, nobody's ever told them not to. You know, I say, this is contraception. Just take this. And if you haven't had a problem with it, then Mm. there's been no reason to talk to anybody about it. Like I remember being on the pill maybe in my 20s and I just Mm. didn't get on with them. And I remember I had to go back to the doctors and say that my moods are really terrible. You know, I was always angry and frustrated when I was due. And I think they reduced the dosage um, mm. and gave me a mild one instead. Well, you were probably pretty you're probably pretty lucky and pretty self-aware. Mm. Um, whereas I think a lot of women when they come off the the pill, they sort of do a bit more they're, they're sort of a bit more like, 
oh gosh, like, wow, my mood's a lot better. You yeah, know, you've gone right. on to it when you're 16, 17, 18. I mean, you just assume you're angsty because you're that age and everyone's a bit angsty. You know, like mm. you don't probably know yourself enough to know that's not normal for you. You start to just think like, God, I'm moody all the time. You don't even think yeah. I'm moody all the time, but everyone else around you thinks, gosh, you know, Ella's moody all the time. But like to you, it's just your normal state. So mm. it might not be till you come off it that you're like, oh, I feel a lot more relaxed. I'm not as highly strung. <laughs> right. Like I'm not like pissy at the world constantly. And then you look back and you realise maybe the pill was affecting my mood. And I would say, you know, a good 40% of my clients who've been on the pill will say that they felt better off it. And mm. there's probably the, the the 5 or 10%, I'm making these numbers up, um, <laughs> that, that, yeah, I always make the numbers up, no, um, that um, – that would say, oh, I couldn't even stay on it. You know, it was so bad that I couldn't actually be on it. Mm. Like that's a very obvious, you know, gosh, this is completely messing with me. I have to get off. Yeah. You know, those people I always sort of say they kind of dodged a bullet mm. um, because there was it was so difficult for them to be on. They actually chose not to and therefore it's probably been better for their health, health fertility, yeah. ovulation, everything yeah. <laughs> moving forward. Not great at the time, I'm sure. Um, but for a lot of people, they don't even realise that that's what's happening. Happening. Mm. You've really got to understand your body, right? Um, well, yeah, but you've got to give it a chance to know it yeah. without interference yes, too. You know, if you yeah. go on at 17, you know, well, why would you come off at 22, 23? I mean, yeah. like most people, unless you had a breakup or something, but like a lot of people, that's the time maybe they're going out drinking more, maybe they're like a bit more relaxed about things, yeah. you know, so it might be, no, 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 I need this and I can't fall pregnant at this time. Yeah. Um, so they don't even really know what they're like without it. Mm. So what sort of advice would you give someone who's listening um, and they're experiencing some sort of difficulty conceiving? Mm. I think the thing is, is that you need to find, or I would advise that you find a source that you trust and a team that you trust, you know, so you want to be working with a fertility specialist that does listen to you and does come up with other options mm. and doesn't ever use the word it's a numbers game, yes. <laughs> the sentence it's a numbers game, oh. you know, and doesn't just do the same thing again and again, you know, and make and, and you feel like you're getting further because you got one more egg collected or one more fertilised or there was two more on day three. I mean, the end result is there is there is the answer, right? Mm. You can get one egg collected, one egg fertilised, one on day one and you're pregnant, right? Like that's the successful cycle, yeah. you know, so having four eggs this time and six eggs next time, that's not a better cycle. There's mm. just a different cycle. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think we get caught up in these, oh, no, things are improving, things are getting better. And and maybe they are. You Maybe you're getting further with the fertilisation and maybe, you know, you're getting to day five or you're getting some good quality embryos and that that is that is better. Like I'm, I'm not saying that's not better, but do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it's it's the end result is what we're kind of going for. So you want somebody who's going to keep looking at your case with fresh eyes it may be that you do need that second opinion um i mean obviously as a fertility naturopath and nutritionist i'm gonna say work with a fertility naturopath and nutritionist. <laughs> um you know but, of but we can yeah of course duh. um <laughs> we can be really helpful particularly when people are very experienced in that area and do work alongside um fertility specialists a lot um i've just launched two online courses one is called 14 the 14-day IVF support program, and there's five weeks of fertility, which is for uh, more for natural conception. And then IVF, the IVF one is for people who are doing um, or alongside the IVF process. Now, 
Those are endorsed by Dr. Gavin Sachs, the Senior Fertility Specialist and Associate Professor um, at IVF Australia, um, because we wanted to be able to kind of work together to offer something that would help people in their fertility journey and more particularly for him whilst people are going through IVF. So there's all the recipes you need, meal plans, audio meditations. It's all based on the latest scientific research. So what foods to eat, what foods to include, um, things to minimize or avoid. We look at all that diet and lifestyle stuff. There's recipes for you know, natural cleaning products. There's videos every, um, every day or every week, depending on which program you're in. Um, with me giving you as much information as I can. There's written information and everything's referenced and and, um, and based on the latest research. So it's not sort of like, oh, no, don't take that. Like, that's not good for you. And my sort of, I guess, philosophy is you don't have to be perfect. You know, the person who's the strictest doesn't win this game, right? So it's about understanding what the research says we should and shouldn't be doing or we we should be focusing on and minimizing in this process without hopefully it becoming um more stressful than it already is Mm. in the five weeks fertility program i do go through a lot about knowing when you're ovulating understanding your cycle in both programs i talk about um all those hormonal health conditions we chatted about endometriosis polycystic ovaries thyroid conditions women over 38 natural killer cells, Mm. Um, what else do I talk about? Who knows? Um, (laughs) But, you know, there's so much kind of information in there. Yeah. Um, So in every – and, again, everything you need in the one place. So if you're not seeing somebody individually or even if you are, it's really reasonably priced um, and I'm giving you guys a discount code as well, which um, I think you can pop – I sent you the email so you can pop that in the show notes or whatever you've got there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I think – starting to work on that diet and lifestyle stuff at your own pace can be really useful in understanding what else might be going on. There's lists of tests to consider if things aren't working. Um, we have the fertility program, you know, so so that you really get an understanding of what you can be doing at home because mm. there's so much you can't be doing. Mm. <laughs> you know, as I said, this, this kind of, um, you know, thing isn't, always the person who's the strictest wins the game. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, people fall pregnant all the time. Mm. So it's it's about trying to improve your chance of success with the things that you can be um, mediating, but also knowing that, you know, even if you're doing all the perfect things, that doesn't mean you'll conceive that month. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of a longer process than that for some people. Um, and other people, yep, it's going to be next month and that's amazing. Oh, I'm on a health kick and losing some kilos, much needed kilos. And yeah. having a health plan and a schedule that's in front of me has really helped my success in getting me healthier and shifting those much needed kilos. Um, and I think your course has everything that yeah. is going to set someone up for success. Absolutely. And if you're not that person, so if you're you, you take my meal plan, you've got all the recipes there and you can follow it to a T, right? If that's not you, you also have in there um, understanding the overall, what we should be eating, what we should be avoiding, how to calculate protein, why this is important. That's important. So you can then use all that information to create your own meal plan. So I've got a meal plan blank template in there as well for those people who, you know, don't want to work off um, my plan or, you know, are a little bit more you know, um, 
not less organized, but just don't don't like that structure. Some people love it and some people don't yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. So the options there yeah. for both. Um, but you know, having everything that's actually based on the latest research rather than, you know, oh, you know, do this, eat pineapple, don't eat poor, poor, whatever, like some of these things that just don't actually have a scientific basis to them. If you want to do them, do them. But at least if you're putting your energy and effort into something, let's... So the amount of um, pineapples I was eating for my um, (laughs) two-week... Yeah, yeah, probably just gave you high sugar and uh, diarrhea. No. Exactly. (laughs) And look, you know, it's not that it's not going to be, you know, I guess, you know, fresh, healthy, whole foods, great, you know, but like, you know, how many Brazil nuts do you need? And like, more importantly, how do you know how much protein you and how to calculate it because one of the biggest findings mm. with IVF is that embryo quality and egg quality is directly related to protein and some people will think oh, a lot of people will think they're getting enough because they have it oh, I had eggs and uh, lentils and fish and whatever and that sounds fantastic mm. but depending on your weight and your needs and it's all really simply calculated in here because I actually hate numbers but we have to do numbers for mm. a couple of things and protein is is one of them. So I teach you in here how to actually calculate how much you need and then how you can actually get that in your diet as well. So how can someone get in touch with you if they need more information or they would like to join your program? Yep. Yep. So you can pop onto my website, belindakirkpatrick.com.au. Um, there's a little drop down top tab, tab, gosh, there's a little <laughs> drop down tab. My brain goes faster than my mouth sometimes. My mouth goes pretty quickly, but <laughs> um, there's a little tab up the top um, that says online courses and you'll find those in there. Um, and there's all the other information on my website there too, how to get in contact with me, how to buy the book, um, you know, consultations, um, all that sort of stuff as well. I'll put your details in the show notes. So anybody wanting to contact you will have your details as well as the code. Belinda, thank you so much for joining me. It's been so informative and I've learned a lot and I'm sure there's others out there too who will will take something out from That's this interview. Great. Exactly. That's the thing. Like it's trying to find you know, who you can trust, you know, who's done the research for you, because I know a lot of you out there are trying to do the research on your own. And that's great. Like it's, you know, do your research, you know, but a lot of the time it can be really overwhelming. And if that's not your training, it's it's hard to do, you know, like it's, it's hard for me to, um, you know, do something that I'm not trained in, you know, like social yeah. media marketing, you know, we were talking about that earlier. Like it's yeah. not my forte, you know, I need to speak to somebody you know, how to do that, who I can trust, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. So hopefully this gives you everything that you kind of need in the one place um, and you can hopefully trust that information. It's all referenced and researched um, to go, okay, great. Yep. I'm just going to, I'm just going to hang here for a bit. Yeah, excellent. Oh, thank you so much, Belinda, for your time. No problem. And, and there's also some interviews in there too, just so that you know, with, with Dr. Oh. Gavin Sachs. And so, you know, yeah. I, I kind of push him on things, common questions that people have sent in um, and, and we've asked him, um, tried to nail him down on some of the tricky stuff too. So you're getting that mm. fertility specialist sort of point of view in there too, which is which is really that's useful. That's always great. Yeah, that's always mm. useful. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and um, you can catch Belinda Kirkpatrick at the Expo which is on the 26th of June. Absolutely love to see you guys there come into my little booth. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay Belinda take care and speak to you soon. Thanks Ella thanks bye-bye.